0: you're talking about the single event that probably influenced civilization mm-hmm. as we know it mm-hmm. now i mean it, it's you know created our laws and uh behavior and um, you know the knowledge of good and evil and all that kind of stuff it's influenced art and uh, literature and, uh, and every it's it's affected every possible aspect of anyone's life whether they know it or not it has so that this is big stuff you're dealing with mm-hmm. It's absolutely everything. I mean, if, the, if it wasn't, what would there be? Welcome to Wrestling With God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy with a wonderful imagination – and a deep knowledge of religious history. My friend, an Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father uh, Len.
1: Hey, hey, Irish. I was wondering who you were talking about, but okay, great, good.
0: <laughs> well, that's kind of how I see you. I don't think I've exaggerated too much there.
1: Okay, I question your grasp on reality, but sure.
0: <laughs> well, you always do. So, Father Len. Uh, The voice we heard at the very beginning of this episode is Mel Gibson, talking about his inspiration for producing uh, one of the most watched movies of all time, The Passion of the Christ. We've probably both seen it, right? Um, and most of our listeners probably have too, but his words got me wondering what a world without Jesus and his church might look like. Now I, I don't know much about the what the world was like when God took on human flesh and became one of us, but I know you do, Fatherland <laughs> and and not because you're so old, but you're you know you're you're a wise and uh studied man. you know, you've done your homework anyway, and, and I suspect like me, a lot of listeners take for granted how the ideas uh, Jesus introduced. That you've often described as radical in his time, how these ideas changed lives and made the world a better place. So, Father Len, what I thought I'd love to have you help us do is imagine what a world without Jesus and His Church might actually look like.
1: Wow, that's really interesting.
0: Can you handle that? I mean, you see, it's oh, interesting.
1: You're- yeah, I can. I, I mean, I can. I can say something.
0: I want you to show off your imagination now, Father Lynn.
1: Okay, well, I'll, I'll try. You know, one of my favorite Gospels is the Gospel of Luke. I talk about it too much, but it's my favorite Gospel, I have to admit. And what I love about it, and this is just my standing joke, is that the Gospel of Luke, I wish I could be that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> because in the Gospel of Luke, um, his favorite word, Luke's favorite word, is Hospitality. Everything is about hospitality. And the Gospel of Luke is 10 meals with Jesus. It's a really interesting structure. It's structured around Jesus having 10 meals. That's all the Gospel is about. So all Jesus does is eat, drink, and tell stories in 10 meals. So my joke is clearly he's Italian. Because you know, those (laughs) Italians, all they do is eat, drink, and talk. That's all they do. But really, he's remapping the world based on meals. And he's changing morality and the way we think all around meals. So how do Catholics worship? We worship with meals. But he's remapping society through meals. And this is just an example. But in ancient times, there are these meal codes. We have them too. But meal codes is who and what you eat with, how you eat, who you eat with, what you eat is very important. And the meal codes of Jews is quite simple. Jews eat with Jews. Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles, but Jews would eat as a family, men and women and children together. Oddly enough, Gentiles, we Gentiles, the Romans and the Greeks, they did not eat that way. You ate, you had to eat with people of your own class and caste system.
0: Okay. Didn't
1: mix the rich and the poor would never eat together. And men and women didn't eat together. Men and women and children did not eat together unless it was uh, like a certain feast or high functioning meal. Typically men and women did not eat together. The men ate first and then women, women could eat. Uh, eat if they're high ranking women, but they'd have to sit at the end of the couch and sit up straight, uncomfortable. So there were certain exceptions, but basically, you know, because men are superior to women, they should not eat together. So Jesus in his gospel of Luke, and I'm just using this example, he completely rearranges how everything works. He offers radical hospitality. He welcomes men and women to sit at the same table, the poor and the rich to sit at the same table. And in meal number six in the gospel of Luke, that's when they decide he's got to die because he's mixing this together too much. So he's offering radical hospitality. So in the gospel, it doesn't make any sense at one point where it says there are 5,000 people, not including women and children. For us, that just sounds like a strange phrase. But in ancient times, it would have been radically shocking to have what? Women ate with men? The poor ate with the wealthy? That is unheard of. So the whole story of Jesus in one sense that is so radically different is he keeps breaking all these codes and he's drawing people together by a much different morality. That's the radical part. So if that, if Christ wouldn't have come, wow, this, everything would be different. And like there's, I saw this Christmas program when I was a kid and somebody got up and read this poem, One Solitary Life. And it's a really popular poem around Christmas time that how one solitary life changed the world. And even when the guy was reading it, I was thinking to myself, but it wasn't one solitary life. Jesus did not have one solitary life. He had the opposite. He had the life of hospitality, of drawing people together in communion. And oddly enough, I do believe, you know, if you had to pick one person who's changed the world the most, it wouldn't be a king or an inventor. The greatest mark on history was most influential was this traveling preacher who established a church, a community, who he gives a responsibility to redraw the world, redraw the world according to hospitality. And even H.G. Wells, who H.G. Wells was not even uh, a faithful person, but even H.G. Wells said, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the center of history. Jesus is the most dominant figure in all of history. And that would be true. Now, why start started with hospitality is, the, you know, just like three things that Jesus changed. One would be social justice. Even take like women's rights. As I said, Greeks and Romans treated women terribly. I mean, it was really just awful. And throughout history, ancient history, we see endless examples of women being treated inhumanely. They were nothing more than property, mostly. And then all of a sudden, about 2,000 years ago, we see this incredible movement of women converting to Christianity. In fact, the early church was so saturated with women that its critics often called it a quote-unquote women's religion. And the odd part, Jesus treated women with dignity and respect. That completely contrasted his society at the time. And even today, a lot of people are shocked when they found out that there were women that traveled with Jesus. It's mentioned that in the Gospel of Luke, that he's friends with women. He's ministry partners with women. It, you know, the movie version is just Jesus and the 12. It's not Jesus and the 12. Yes, he had hundreds of followers, and he chose 12 as the leaders. But it also mentions that he has these women who traveled with him, who served out of their need. They were the first ministers to Jesus. That would have been shocking at a time for a man to have these women who took care of him, who traveled with him.
0: And who he showed respect for.
1: And who he showed respect for. And he breaks all these, well, Rules on how to treat women, even in his own culture. He greets Martha openly in public. That was forbidden. A woman is only allowed to greet her husband in public. Jesus is breaking a rule. Or when Mary is at his feet learning Torah, that would have been shocking at the time because uh, this fi- famous rabbi at the time said, better to burn the Torah than let a woman touch it. And here this woman is getting an education. That would have been unheard of. Or women were the first witnesses to Jesus after the resurrection. Women's testimonies were worthless. And while women were worth less than men in the Roman world, in Jesus' eyes, they were equally valuable. So, like, you have the whole history in the early church of marriage where you have the virgin martyrs where women decide, you know, based on the teachings of Christ, I'm not property. I should be able to marry who I want. That's why they are martyred.
0: So even the simple idea of being able to choose who you marry was something there was a rule you didn't do that. I mean, yeah, the what... Roman
1: the Roman uh government was like, "No, no, you marry who your family tells you to marry. That you marry who we tell you to marry."
0: So so, so today you're, you know, you're defining hospitality, I guess, as seeing everybody ha- as being uh, equal valuable. and valuable. Uh, you know, where back then everything was split up by.
1: Yeah. You by- you only show hospitality to people of your own tribe or class or, or uh, type. So, so Jesus legacy is uplifting women. Uh, it's painfully obviously today, or just like human rights in general, think of human rights as hospitality. You know, we're kind of, used to human rights as a basic idea today, but the idea that all humans should be treated with dignity was extremely rare before Christianity stepped onto the scene.
0: So even though we struggle with that somewhat today, the, the idea never came to anybody back then. I mean, Jesus introduced that idea.
1: Well, let me put this. I don't think Jesus introduced it. It's actually introduced in Genesis When it says we're made in the image of God, because in in Egypt, the ones made in the image of God is the rulers and, you know, the peasant class, they just exist to serve us and to hear, no, all people are made in the image of God. That actually would have been radical. The thing what Christ did is establish a church to push the boundaries. Granted, the Jews might have believed that. But it didn't really change the world until Jesus pushes the boundaries. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It, that's that's really have this whole
1: institution that is promoting that. Well, everybody is not just a you know a couple tribes who believe that. Really, by the time of Christ, one tribe believed that. Now you have this huge force believing. No, every human being has dignity. So you can take slavery, for example. Look at slavery. Like, While it is true, Christians owned slaves, although admittedly slavery back then is not the same thing as the slavery of the Deep South. But it was always Christians who championed for the freedom of slaves. You know, secular philosophers and leaders of the day, they did little to emancipate slaves. And even the civil rights movement of the 60s, Uh, It was religious people that were at the center of the fight. It was Christians to care for your fellow man, your fellow human being. That's a very Christian idea. It wasn't even part of Judaism. Judaism, you take care of your own tribe. But now if you think about it, it's so widespread, the dignity of all human beings that came about 2000 years ago with Christ. So this radical hospitality who started food banks and hospitals? It was the followers of Christ, mostly the Catholic Church, because that's all that existed. But like, there wasn't really like Buddhist food banks. There are now. <laughs> I mean, like, they might be some Buddhist food banks now, but that's not their history. I'm not putting down Buddhists. I, you know, I really do appreciate Buddhists. But food banks and caring for the poor and hospitals and universities. That's what the followers of Christ did. When Christ Christ says, the poor you will always have with you, it's not because we can't defeat poverty. It's because the poor you will always have with you because they'll come to you. You're the ones who are taking care of them. That's why they'll always be with us because who else are they going to be with? So Jesus says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. This is what Christ started. Before that, there was no movement of organized movement to take care of that you could might have some individuals but jesus started an organized movement of caring for the poor and the needy is a very strong part of the legacy of christ that continues today so even like the roman emperor remarked that um these christians they take care of other people (laughs) they care for the outcasts and the the poor that was unheard of until christianity Religion before Christianity, except for Judaism, wasn't really concerned with morality. And religion definitely was not concerned with taking care of the poor or, you know, hospitals or food banks. That started with Christ. And like I said, I'm not against Buddhism, but even like Buddhism and Confucius, and I'm a huge fan of Confucius, but there's this joke. I told you before that uh, the joke, it's an Eastern joke that Confucius and Buddha and Lao Tzu were walking and they saw this man with his cart stuck in the mud and Lao Tzu gets out and helps pull. And you think, well, what's the joke? Well, Confucius is nice, but Confucius was this great scholar who just gave rules on how to behave, but didn't really demand that you get in the mud and help people. Buddha, you know, he might be searching for nirvana and he did contribute like Praying regularly, meditating regularly makes you more compassionate, but it doesn't – nowhere in Buddhism is there a command that you get in the mud. Jesus healed the poor and the outcast. In the early church, they cared for orphans and widows and the helpless and still does today. And that's an organized movement that Jesus started. And so like I I mentioned to you before when I was in third world countries – I was shocked I, where it, yeah, I could see with my own eyes. Nobody does more for healthcare, education, poor than the Catholic church. But just religious people in general, they're the ones who take care of other people. In this recent st- study, it shows that up to 75% of all charitable donations are made by people of faith. The, the vast majority, it's like 100% more, people of faith are the ones who volunteer and do everything or even education. Literacy in Ireland came with a, a result of Patrick's ministry there. Nearly all the first universities and histories were started by the Catholic Church. So it's a little ironic when society tries to make Christians look ignorant, uneducated. Granted, there are some I've met some. Um, <laughs> You're not referring to
0: name. me, are you? No.
1: <laughs> There are some that are just anti-education and call themselves Christians, but really think about it. It was Christians who started education. We often think like modern medicine take that for granted, but it was developed by Catholics based on following Christ. So for much of history, people saw the world as spirits and demons, you know, and small, you know, small gods, small g influencing all these forces. But Christians believe that there is one God who made everything and even calls Christ the Logos, like the word logic. There's just divine logic to the world that we can discover this logic. We can discover who Christ is through science. So that's actually a Christian idea. So medieval Christians were the first to come about this idea of experimenting. And there's this professor, uh, Rodney Stark, who read this book, For the Glory of God, where he says, the scientific revolution of the 16th century was the result of Christian scholarship starting in the 11th century. Why did real science develop in Europe and not anywhere else? And he says, it's a unique feature of Christianity. Or the physicist Paul Davis, who's this non-believer Even he says the origins of science are rooted in Christian belief. All the early scientists, Newton, were religious. Newton really didn't think he would be remembered by his scientific discoveries. Newton thought he'd be remembered from his religious writings. He thought of himself as a theologian. But all the early scientists, their science was a means of uncovering the traces of Christ's handiwork in the universe. So Francis Bacon, Galileo, Newton, Copernicus, Kepler, pascal all these men were inspired by their faith in Christ to do science. Science was their way of exploring Christ. So I'd say the first thing, uh, you say, what difference does Christ make? I would go to this hospitality and how really in the area of social justice, education, human rights, female rights, freedom, all that fits into hospitality. Uh, to, that, that'd that be my first thing. If you say, well, what difference has Christ made? Where do you think the world, you look at hospitals today or universities, mm, that's a result of the
0: Christian movement.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally does. I mean, it, it would be such a different world if, we didn't have Christ if we didn't have Jesus. I see we, that. I mean You'd be
1: stuck in this caste system that you know, you know, I you stay on your side of the street, I stay in mine, radically caring for each other. You might have had individuals, but this is the second thing Christ did. And most people forget this. Jesus started an institution. Everybody thinks it was just Jesus in the twelve, or that he was just kinda like this philosopher like uh, Socrates, who just gave teachings, he actually organized so that there's 12 leaders and those leaders would continue this structure that it would exist through time. Like he mentions that twice. So it's not just that he himself wanted to remap society. He creates this structure that these people throughout history, they would continue to practice this radical hospitality that would remap society and it has. So it sounds kind of strange. If you say what difference does Jesus make, you would have to also do away with the institution that Jesus started. So like even yesterday this young man, nice guy, I admire him because he is intellectual, but he says, Well I don't believe in organized religion. So my joke is, "We're we're not that organized. So he said just as a joke. So are you for disorganized religion? <laughs> and he's trying to get his life together and he's reading, which I appreciate. And I said, do you think your life would be easier to get together if everybody had to start from ground zero? Or wouldn't it be better to have an institution that can hand on these teachings and learnings and build upon each other? So Yes. The reason why we can say Christ started universities in this kind of offhanded way, not that he himself laid the groundstone. He laid the groundstone by having an institution that would constantly educate and welcome and remap society. So not everybody has to start from ground zero. So second thing, yeah, if you want to say what difference Christ made, you would have to say the institution that he started. And the third is just the personal lives that he changed. So many people, even today, their lives have completely been changed because of Jesus. And, you know, I might appreciate some artist or musician, but it really doesn't change my life. And how Jesus changed people's life is by introducing the theology of the cross. Now, I'm not going to talk about baptism or the Eucharist, which I could, but just philosophically, he's the first person in spiritual leader, philosopher, who actually introduces the way of the cross. And people get confused that they think the purpose of religion is supposed to make us more polite. And it is true. People care more about kind rather than good. It's just that there's this image being kind and polite, but true goodness comes from dying to yourself, dying to the ego, then we're reborn as something new. So Jesus is not some philosopher who just offers advice. That'd be Confucius or moral behaviors. That's Confucius, uh, nor just a spiritual leader who says, just pray and be at peace. You know that, that's Buddha and Nirvana but there's also something self-absorbed just about me achieving nirvana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, that's fine, but it makes really no difference or very little difference. Jesus is the first one who says, Oh, to have true life, to become this whole new creation, you have to die to your ego and be reborn as a new person. That's a type of wisdom that doesn't come from just studying books. And the truth is, people want knowledge because it's easier. It's so much easier to have memorized facts rather than wisdom. But the problem is knowledge is a door. Uh, wisdom is a path. Wisdom is gained through a daily small activity, small choices that become the whole direction of your life. So wisdom is a path, not a door. That path of daily making moral choices, making small choices of virtue, that's the way of the cross where you slowly die to yourself. That's a daily dying. And billions of personal lives have been changed because of this one person, Christ. And not only did did their lives change, but then they became a force of change. So if you say, well, what difference did Christ make? Ah, Billions of people's lives have been personally changed. Started an institution to continue this ministry of radical hospitality that pushed the boundaries of education and human rights. So Jesus changed everything. Even this 17th century historian said, Jesus of Nazareth, without money or arms, conquered millions more than Alexander, Caesar, Napoleon. Without science and learning, shed more light on human beings and all philosophers and scholars. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished more themes for sermons and works of arts and songs of praise than a whole army Of artists, so really, historically, Jesus is somebody you cannot ignore. I just think, without a doubt,
0: he's the
1: most influential figure in human history. Not even getting into the, like, because I do think Christ is God, but not even getting into that—that one life has changed humanity the most. Everything, and it's changed other religions.
0: Well, and you know, you mentioned the way of the cross, and that would be easy to just talk about it as a philosophy or an abstract concept, but he actually lived that. He did it. You know, he died. That's pretty amazing in itself.
1: And then asks us that we have to die. We have to daily die to our pettiness and our angers and our selfishness and... I, I was kind of impressed because I met a couple like this one guy, really nice couple. But he said, and I thought this was interesting. He said, said, you know, when we got married, I was an atheist and I wanted nothing to do with religion. And then years into it, he says, well, I do think there might be a God. Let's, let's try the Lutheran church. And I, I liked him because he said, I have nothing against the Lutherans. You know, I loved Lutherans because they introduced me to Christ. He said, but I found a lot of times it was more of a political statement in their church. And then I discovered Catholicism and I discovered a whole new world that, you know, spans 2000 years of this institution. And he said, so I'm grateful Lutheranism brought me to the Catholic church. He says, but I went from atheist to believing in Christ. And then his wife kind of butts in and says, yeah, believe me, this is a totally different man that i married to now than when we first started. And I just love how she said, There's a whole new man. That's to me the way of the cross. We are being born something new by taking up Christ's way.
0: Well, you, you know, the, this has changed me in so many ways. It took me a long time to get there. I've been a Catholic all my life. And I mean, I have to credit you with. A, a big chunk of my, my change, really, helping me understand more about Christ, about my faith. I, I really love the, the explanation you've given us today and what the world would be like without Jesus. I think this was really good, Father Lynn. Thanks. Oh, no problem. So we always welcome your comments and questions here on the Wrestling with God show. It's easy to get those to us and if you want to give us you know some thoughts about how jesus might have affected your life that would be wonderful w- whatever kind of comments or questions you have just head over to our website that's wwgshow.com that's wwgshow.com and near the top of the page you'll see a questions button and when you click on it you'll find multiple ways to reach us email text telephone voicemail And if you're enjoying the Wrestling With God show, please share your favorite episodes with your friends and subscribe, rate, and write a review of our podcast so people have a sense of what it's about and what you're getting out of it. And you can do that at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. So we hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, and purpose in our lives And gratitude for all Jesus continues to teach us about what it means to be fully human. Thanks for listening. See you next time.